When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Base boys, bitch boys. Base boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. The boys are back, folks. Juan Harris, Hal Rutnick, Binge Boys, what's going on? We're going to talk about some programs and some news in the world of streaming. And you know what? Maybe a little bit of life talk might make its way in there. Who knows? Hopefully not. Jeez. Juan, you know, I I know you hate it when I paint a picture of of what's going on because this isn't uh, an audio medium. I don't hate it. You never do that. You say you're going to, and then you're like, what's up with that? Uh, what's up with that head you got there? And then I just well, have to talk. Okay. And then I just have to come up with something funny. Well, okay. So well, I'll just say something that well, probably many of our listeners can relate to. You, you were talking about your allergies and yes. I, I noticed your eyes look a little red. I thought you were having a good cry after like a, you know, a Hallmark commercial or something You didn't like actually that. notice. I pointed it out to you. When we first started talking, I said, Oh, no, I but apologize. I could tell there was a li- I could see a little red I'm around your sorry. eyes. I'm sorry. I apologized for my unbecoming appearance. No, still very to, becoming. Still very becoming. I know you becoming. like to look at me while we make the show, but no, I do. I... It's a bad allergy season. Other other listeners out there who suffer from allergies as I do in the springtime have probably noticed because we had so many rains this year in California. Yeah. It was a heavy rain season. We have a lot of grass and pollen and other gunk in the air that causes people like me to have a reaction. You fuck with that Flonase or uh, any of those? Uh... Uh, no, you know, I, I tend to think 99% of the allergy remedies on the market, uh, it's yeah. all it's all bullshit. I think it's mostly psychosomatic. Like, my histamines are just determined. You can put as many antihistamines in front of them as you like. They're histamines. They're going to do their histamine thing. So Gotcha. So you are I not putting really any like... money in the pocket of big allergy. It's like with the drops and the eye drops and the nose spray and the pills and the, they, they make the suppositories. You That's not a thing. You, know, <laughs> you stick the pollen right up your ass and then it doesn't get in your eyeballs. A time uh, release pollen that goes right in the yeah, caboose. I, I have tried literally every allergy over the counter thing and a, and some prescription stuff and I don't think any of it really does much of anything honest I I don't think most uh, we're gonna get into like uh, the the like really thin line between me and a straight up anti vaxxer like I think you should get vaccinated COVID is real folks go get your shots but I do think almost every other big pharma product is bullshit like I don't I believe very strongly in this in the COVID vaccine. I don't. I don't really believe. Mo- I think ibuprofen works really well, like Advil. Yes. And Advil and the COVID vaccine, a hundred percent. Everything else, basically bullshit. Like I don't think any of them are doing anything. And like, like any no of them. What, medicines, what, what, like medicines. I think most or, drugs. They you could you could feel that you're on something, but it doesn't do the thing it says on the box it's gonna do. Like when you have a cold and you take Sudafed, you still have a fucking cold. It doesn't really I do mean, that much. I think there are pre- prescription. A lot of prescription drugs do the thing. I mean, like yeah, you're talking I'm, about over the counter, like I, right? Yeah, a, I'm talking over the counter. Yeah, of course. I'm not. I'm not talking like don't take chemo if you get cancer. Like, of course, some stuff does it. I just mean, yeah. The, what the, about the like stuff SSRIs and stuff like that? Like, well, I don't think SSRI. They don't do much for me. But even like, like I mean, like CVS. They've helped like, me in the past. 
I was talking about over the counter drugs, like CV, like Robitussin. Like I don't think that stuff is doing. That when much. I was in college, I chugged a bottle of Robitussin and high. I was high as a Georgia pine. Yeah. Well, you were you, you were in. Uh, we all know, longtime purple drank enthusiast uh, Hal Rudnick. I think that's I known. fucked I think with the knows. drank for like uh, a week or two in college. I believe they used to call you Hal Perp Drank. Wasn't that your stage name for a while? They used to call me Big Purple, but then it was it wasn't because <laughs> right. of uh, the Robitussin. It was because I love Grimace from McDonald's. People stopped doing that. I think it was there were so there were enough deaths. Like a few rappers died uh, dr- taking drugs and having that that purple drink. And now because there used to be guys who'd be like, "My name's Gary Perp Drink." Like I love the purple. And like people, it's, it, it, it's not as fashionable anymore. You know, I, I don't know. I still see those double styrofoam cups around. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's I th- it's I think it's still a thing. Listen, I think if um, you're if you're in kids the out dirty there, south. <laughs> Sorry. Certainly, certainly, if you're in the dirty South, it's still oh. it's still a thing. I don't mean to speak for the dirty South. Uh, I mean, I would never presume to speak for the dirty. <laughs> I south. would never presume to speak for the dirty South, folks. If you know me, you know that right away. Listen, I could go on and on about uh, Hotlanta, Master Masterpiece, P, yeah. yes, and <laughs> and everything, but. Maybe we'll talk about that behind the paywall. By the way, speaking of uh, behind the paywall, and like before we get to the streaming news, uh, Lon, it seems like our podcast host, where we were available for uh, the the couple of years or so that we've been doing this show, (laughs) Starburns Audio. Yeah, we were associated with them, but I couldn't tell you in what way. And I think that- the because perfect end to that collaboration, uh, they went out of business without telling us. I think that was how the the, the, the right end to that it's, collaboration. You know, it, it, like the parent who leaves their child uh, wandering around the supermarket. Lon and I went over uh, to their offices for our weekly meeting, knocked on the door, <laughs> yeah. and, and tumbleweeds rolled by. And uh, I'm picturing was... Dan Harmon like uh, like Daniel Day Lewis at the end of There Will Be Blood. I have abandoned my child. I have abandoned my boy. They lit a fire, as uh, you know, as, as they say in the in um, the anti-Semitic Harley Quinn episode. They invoked a little Jewish lightning. They burned down the offices, and uh, you didn't hear about that Harley Quinn being uh, the the animated show being uh, a little. Uh, lightly anti-Semitic. Lightly, well, just dabbling in some light anti-Semitic. You know, as a treat, a little light anti-Semitism. And then they they, they they lit it on fire and Dan Harmon came and said, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, no more Starbirds. I don't, I don't think this is going to affect us because I don't think they did anything to help us ever. Like one, not one time. Listen, I enjoyed having their name on the letterhead, etc. Yeah, I think I had said, at one point said we should stop thanking them, and you were like, no. I, I insist that we keep thanking them for not helping us. But, you know, uh, in this episode, because we're done and gone with them. They literally don't exist. They, they didn't tell us. I guess I stopped thanking them. Yeah, well, there's nothing to thank. They, they never did th- anything thankworthy, but especially now that they don't even exist anymore. And can I... Can I tell the audience that financially this podcast is a losing venture for you and I? Well, I mean, it's a losing venture on a lot of levels, but on a lot of financially, levels. yeah, uh, financial one of the levels on which it's a it's a loss financially for us, entertainment value wise. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the only plus for me is I get to, I I get to learn a little something about streaming every couple of weeks when I talk to Lon. Yeah, and I mean I would refuse to talk to you otherwise. So yeah. I mean, this is our only chance to communicate. This is like Lon's Big Brother program. He volunteers to talk to me about yeah. streaming every couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm like normally when Hal calls, it'd be like a succession character. Like I check my phone and then just put it right back in the pocket. Yeah, unless it was. Uh, um, but it's like uh, oh, it's time unless it was. Skarsgård. You're not picking up the phone. Uh, All right. So enough about uh, our personal housekeeping. Let's jump into the news. The news with Lon. We should note, we didn't even know Starbirds went out of business until Adam Conover of Adam Ruins Everything tweeted about it. And then I still, there's still not even an article about it. Like this company just vanished into thin air. Boiler room operation. 
I mean, Dan Harmon hasn't been associated with it in a while. No, he, he walked hasn't. away, I think, two years ago to focus on, uh, you know, his uh, his his show with the sex offender guy. Yes. Uh, and all of his various other projects. He's got that Greek mythology show coming on Fox soon, Crapopolis. Have you heard about this one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, very busy man. Dan Harmon, playing D&D, writing TV shows, no time to help out podcasts. And so, no, n- not at all. Not at all. Uh, listen, uh, but we will soldier on for uh, the. I mean, they weren't le- doing anything for anyway, the time so. being. Yeah, they weren't doing anything. It's like an it's like a non entity. We might not even notice. Yeah, yeah, they they're never going to find out that we're talking about them. No one cares. No. We're, That's why I'm being so brazen right here because I know that they're never. The, I mean, Harmon's yeah, they kind of were like absentee parents, like leaving the child to play with electrical cords and um, cutlery. You know, not hiring a babysitter. We can't be trusted on our own, folks. We no, not at all. I'm, I'm a baby in traffic. All right, Lon, what's in the news? Let's move on. So Netflix reported its uh, Q1 quarterly earnings this week. Uh, I don't care about that. Boring money, stocks, not, not this show. But they did make some interesting announcements as well. Ooh. They delayed their uh, crackdown on password sharing. That's still going to happen but they kicked it down the road a few months. Originally, that was going to be Q1. Now they're saying that'll be Q2, and then they won't know what you know how well it's working until later on this year. Lon, they, crackdown on passwords in this economy? Crackdown on password crackdown sharing? Crackdown on password sharing. So yes, that, crackdown on the password sharing in this economy. Yeah, they don't Come want on. you sharing your password with multiple households. So that's what so you can share your password with as many people who live with you as you want. But if it's a different household, they're going to try to get you to sign those people up for a separate account. That's the and they have the new ad. The, Oy vey, I got half of Bergen County, New Jersey using my password. Uh, well, that how is old news. The new yes. news is that they're going to uh, they're trying to make the ad supported tier better to get more people, you know, get it if you get kicked off your friends, Netflix, and you want to sign up, there's this cheaper plan that, that you can get. So the ad-supported tier, they're soon going to get 1080p streams. They've only been streaming in 780 or 720 up until now. Oh. They're going to get 1080 full HD, and they're going to get the ability to view two streams at the same time. So I can be you upstairs, can be upstairs watching, uh, watching one Physical thing. 100, and um, my mom can be downstairs watching Bridgerton. She loves that Regé Jean Page. There you go. Uh, and then they also announced uh, they're going to end their DVD shipping business. They're the original Netflix business where you would go and order DVDs that they would then send you Get in those the envelopes. mail. envelopes. 25 years and 5 billion ship discs later, they're saying goodbye to the DVD shipping business for good. Uh, wow. That's going away. You know, I think all physical media should be ended. Why? It's great. Uh, looks I, I, looks better than streams. Streaming, you're rooms, constantly my... losing stuff. You know, like this movie's gone and now you don't have it anymore. And if you own the Blu-ray or the DVD, it's on your shelf forever. You know what? I'll just watch what's on. Yeah, you're easy. You're an easy I'm, sell. I'm easy. Listen, well, I'll, just, I'll just... It's just Sonic the Hedgehog 2 over and over again, and that's on Paramount+. If, Plus, if that's so. what's on, that's what I'm watching. Yeah, so, you know, if it's, if that's if you only watch Sonic the Hedgehog 2, then it's really not that big of a deal. You don't need physical media, but if you like a variety. My life is a little too cluttered, and having physical media, it, I just can't, I can't do it. All right. But that's well, a me thing. That's a me yeah. thing. I'm sorry to push my politics on everyone. You just love Knuckles the Echidna, and he's only in one movie so far. So Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic too. the Hedgehog too. Uh, finally, uh, you heard about Love Is Blind, right? The, Everyone's the talking about Love Is Blind right the, now. Yeah. So, so the Love Is Blind season four reunion. It was going to be Netflix's only their second ever experiment in live streaming. Their first, of course. Uh, Chris Rock, everyone's against me. You can't be funny anymore live. Yes, and I don't like the fact, if we could talk about that for one moment, um, the, the Chris Rock, he had one little flub when he made a Will Smith joke towards right, the he, end. Right, he referenced the wrong Will Smith movie. Yes. And they took it out of the uh, of this, of the yeah, special that's going to live in perpetuity on the site. And I think that's, I think that's a, like a bitch-ass move. I don't like that. Well, the, the, here's the thing. A lot of people probably don't realize this, but when you watch a stand-up comedy special, like a recorded one, 
99% of the time, they're actually recording two or three performances. Mm -hmm. And then they're just editing the best version of every joke together to make it look like one totally seamless, nailed it, perfect hour of comedy Stuck where he didn't landing. make a flub. Right. Uh, and it usually is not like that at all. So I think that Chris Rock both wanted to do the live gimmick, but then he also wanted a comedy special that lives on in perpetuity that feels like a professional comedy special that could live alongside all of his other comedy specials. Right. So they, they, they probably filmed one or two extra performances, even though they didn't stream them live so that they had the option to go do that. I, it doesn't bother me. It would, if the special had featured funny jokes, I would have totally been on board, but I don't. Uh, I, I watched it. Uh, I thought it was, I, I thought it was hit and miss, but I liked the Will Smith stuff. I thought it was pretty lackluster. Anyway. That was the first ever experiment in live yeah. streaming. The second was going to be the season four cast reunion of Love is Blind, the reality yes. dating show. Uh, it was supposed to be on Sunday, faced major delays, did not ever even successfully stream for everybody, over 90 minute delays for even people who got to see it. Eventually Netflix shot a version of it and put it up as video on demand, but pretty embarrassing for them. Uh, co-CEO Greg uh, Peters, whatever his name is. I think it's Greg Peters. He explained this morning that uh, it was a technical issue. Aha. They had some sort of technical bug. Uh, it is Greg Peters. Uh, so they're, they're not giving any more information about that. Pretty embarrassing for Netflix. Uh, YouTube is live streaming Coachella from like 18 different stages all weekend without a hitch. Uh, well, I guess there was a hitch that Frank Ocean didn't <laughs> allow his to live stream, but... Yeah, that he uh, got up and then the curfew went off 20 minutes he, later or did whatever. You hear he's out. He's not coming back for week two, Frank. This is going to be late news for everybody who's listening to this later. But Frank Ocean just announced he's not going to. He hurt his leg and he's not coming back to headline week two. Coach. Wow. And I had all of my sick Coachella fits picked out. Yeah, I know. You were going to go. Daytime, nighttime, nighttime. You got to put on a couple layers because it gets cold in the yeah, desert. Yeah, Hal's bringing eight flower crowns to Coachella eight this year. Eight flower like, crowns. That's more oh. than there are. Like, that's not, there aren't even that many days. That's okay. I pile them up on top of my head. I look like the queen of Midsommar. Uh, so speaking of Love is Blind, as I always am, there was also separate story this week. Rolling Stone has an expose where many former contestants make allegations of mistreatment by producers on set. Season Guess one what? You know what? Can I just stop you right there? If you're going to be on a reality show, you are going to get mistreated. That's not a rule. What, yes, what, it what is. You will from? be you um you will be told to say things that you don't want to say. You'll be manipulated. That's not mistreated. That's that's just produced. Mistreated is like not allowed to go to sleep. You're not allowed to go to sleep. You can't go pee pee. <laughs> maybe poo poo. Maybe poo poo. No pee pee. You're saying you will that like that's a normal thing. Like, look, if you go on a TV show, you're not allowed to poop. And it's like that's not a. I don't know where you're getting that from. That's not a rule. Th they'll chop it up. They'll they will edit you to look like. But a that's fool. not what people are saying. How you're being misleading. They're not saying they're not complaining that they were unfairly edited. They're complaining that they were literally mistreated on the set. Season one contestant Brianna Holmes says she had to leave the set after she was literally being chased around by camera people during while she was having a panic attack. Season two contestant Danielle Rule claims that she was permitted to be on the show even after telling them during her mental health screening that she was having suicidal ideation. Think about that. She's she's going on a reality show. She's telling producers, I'm thinking right now about killing myself. And they're like, great, you're in. Get on set. Uh, you know, so um, I don't I, I don't want to uh, take uh, mental health issues and or suicide lightly. But if you're a, uh, like, I bet these reality producers were like licking their chops and like, yeah, Ooh, the, the possibility of a yeah, mental they were thinking, breakdown. Oh, this is going to be oh, crazy. And that's ratings gold. That's clicks, baby. Ooh, that's going to that's some headline grabbing tweets. I don't know why we're okay with that. Uh, so anyway, no, I'm not kinetic, okay with. I'm not okay. Kinetic with. content. The studio that produces Love Is Blind. They've denied the allegations, but I think you should bear in mind they're already being sued by a different Love Is Blind contestant for inhumane conditions on set. So there seems to be some consensus from people who've been on Love Is Blind that it sucks to be on Love Is Blind. I'm just letting you know. If you're thinking about going on Love Is Blind, but I, I, let me go back to my initial point lot, because lot you of make a good are saying, point. A lot of people are saying 
not not very fun to be on love and you maybe you'll meet your one true love in a pod and you don't get to see them but you know know. i would think twice if i had a dime for every allegation i heard about about poor treatment of a reality show contestant by the producers or staff i'd be able to go to dairy queen and buy a blizzard but you don't think they're all true i think they're all oh no they are all true it's a shit business you (laughs) sign your you listen you sign your life away you sign like a million and one waivers don't agree to go on a reality show folks yeah like if you go on a reality show they will fuck with you they will just keep you sitting and they will yell at you if you have to get up and go do something if you haven't unless it's f boy island i think we can agree if they invite you to who wouldn't want to go to f boy island I think or we what's all the want to take a trip or or um milf manor yeah we i think we all want to go to milf manor obviously yeah <laughs> uh, Charlie Sheen and Chuck Lorre are going to reunite 12 years after their feud on Two and a Half Men what? for the new Max comedy series, How to Be a Bookie. You remember, let me take you guys back to the year 2011. Oh, yes. get Take uh, us in the way, way back machine. A whole year, Charlie Sheen, some drug and alcohol related public incidents. He's in and out of rehab. There's all this discussion about. He was touring with his goddesses. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's the the tiger blood, the tiger blood era. If I can bring hashtag you back to winning. Hey, yeah. Are you bipolar? I'm by winning. That stuff. Uh, so eventually, <laughs> there was all this very public back and forth about whether he was able to fulfill his duties as co-star of Two and a Half Men because he was so deeply into the uh, slamming eight. <laughs> I was what is it? I was slamming seven gram rocks. That's how I roll. Anyway. Oh, I've been chopping up fat lines for him and the goddesses. Banging seven gram rocks. Anyway. going, like, and then after the fact, uh, as we learned, going out and catching that HIV. Yeah. Uh, There you go. So anyway, uh, eventually fired by WBTV and Chuck Lorre from Two and a Half Men, she Mm. files a hundred million dollar lawsuit against them. All of this is settled out of court. That's 2011, 2012. Not not much word on it since then. Sheen has subsequently said over the past decade he regrets how it went down. He's sorry. He and Chuck Lorre went back. You know, they made this, this hugely popular TV show together. He said he's regretted the way the relationship ended. Well, apparently they've all worked it out. Chuck Lorre still has a deal with WBTV. They're together going to make this show. How to be a bookie for the new Mer- HBO Max Discovery Plus merged service Max. Yes. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco is going to star. Uh, the bit is he's a bookie. He's like a longtime veteran street bookie. Hey, and place your bets. You like the over, the under? What are the right. odds? And the question is, how does a guy like that survive today when all the gambling, is, sports gambling is all online? Oh, yeah. It's basically been legitimized. And, uh, right. Yeah. So he's trying to figure out a new way forward in that era. Hey, Charlie Sheen, I got to compete with these draft kings. Listen, Chuck Lorre, if you're listening right now, I think I'm giving you gold. This is Rudnick's audition to write for How to Be a Bookie, and I'm sold. He's selling me. Ooh, you know what? Give me the Knicks and the under. (laughs) If it was anyone other than Sebastian Maniscalco, I'd be like, this is an offensive stereotype, pal. But the fact that it's it's like, that is what the show is. It's totally going to be that. That's have you seen you, you know Sebastian Bettis. Nowadays they're doing wire money transfers into your account, Zell, Venmo. Back in my day, they brought it to you in a brown paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this script is gonna have whole pages of dialogue that's just Oh, oh, <laughs> oh the Knicks took me to the cleaners last night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just the Knicks. I love to, that should be the bit. It's only bets on the Knicks. He doesn't take <laughs> any other bet. You're for uh, the Knicks or you're against the Knicks. That's it. No other teams. No other uh, teams. I'll tell these you what. These Knicks are killing me. These Knickerbockers remind me of my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, like. Hey, uh, yeah, what, what's the what's the spread on the Mets game? He's like, you get the hell out of here! All right, I've heard enough. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's not, the, uh, the the NBA is not even in season. Not, you, I said, get out of here, you! We're taking preseason <laughs> draft uh, bets on the Knicks. Anyway, uh, so look out for that. How to be a bookie if you are 65 and up. That's coming to you, Max. <laughs> yeah, if, my if, dad's you loved, gonna uh, the, uh, if you love Tulsa King, uh, my, then... Oh, my dad is going to love this show. I can tell you right now he's going to love He's gonna love this show. What was that Chuck Lorre one with Michael Douglas? 
and uh, oh. you know the one I'm talking about. Uh, oh, I'm gonna look at the Kaminsky method. Yeah, with my Alan Arkin still, and Michael Douglas. My dad yeah. still talks about how much he loved the Kaminsky method. Shout out to Lee Harris. Uh, Lionsgate yes. is working on a TV series based on the best-selling. Wait for it. Long dramatic pause. Twilight books. That's right. What the Twilight series? Coming back, your favorite vampire teen romances. You know, coming back they, as a TV show. That, that, you know, it's it's kind of weird. Like the a Twilight, I always was a little dubious about that cheat code they had, where they can go. The, these vampires can go out in the sun, they're so we sparkly. can see their handsome and pretty faces. They're they're sparkly in the sunlight. I, listen, I don't have a problem with recreating vampire mythology. Rewriting vampire lore. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not real. We don't have to let Bram Stoker be the only guy who gets to reinvent what vampires are about. I say, go for it. I say, I say, go for it. You know what? I'm I'm on board with it. I'm on board. No no network or streamer has signed on yet. No writer attached. This is very preliminary. This is basically a Lionsgate executive uh, lighting up a stogie, leaning back at his desk and saying, Get me new Twilight. That's where we're at right yeah, now. Yeah, let's wring some more blood out of that stone. So this purely preliminary Lionsgate, it should also be noted, they also own the Hunger Games franchise and they have a prequel film, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, coming out later this year. That stars Rachel Ziegler from uh, West Side Story. She's oh yeah, be... uh, is, is J-Law gonna be in that thing? No, this is a prequel. It's about, uh, you know, Donald Sutherland plays President, President Snow. Snow. There you go. Yes. Uh, so this is the young rise to power of President Snow. This is how Snow, this is how Mr. Snow became President Snow. Mm. Uh, so it's a I've, I've always so, wondered, I've always so, wondered. Yeah, so no no J-Law yet. Her Katniss Everdeen not born yet when this film takes place. You know place. who they should have playing John, Donald Sutherland's character? Kiefer. Kiefer. I think it's even younger. I think it's like the, the I think it's like a young man. I think it'll be like who's Kiefer's kid? That oh, generation. What? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. All right. Is that already Kiefer's already like an old man? Oh, I mean, he's, a, yeah, he's in his Donald Sutherland's such yeah. an old man that Kiefer now, also an old man territory. You got to go two or three generations deep. Oh, to yeah. He's almost too old to be running around in that yeah, rabbit we need a hole. Younger, we yeah. need a younger Sutherland. Have you uh, caught any it, of Kiefer Sutherland in Rabbit Hole? No, I don't. Yeah, Has really. anybody? Is anybody watching Rabbit Hole? I've if you not, are watching I, Rabbit I haven't Hole, heard. listen, drop down into the comments and let us know. Uh, you never know. Sometimes those shows are breakout hits and you don't see it coming. Like The Night Agent, I wouldn't have thought... That didn't look like much of anything to me on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Huge, huge mega hit. Biggest show mm. on Netflix of the year so far. Ooh. So who's to say? Uh, anyway, three makes a trend, Hal. Here's what I'm saying about YA adaptations. We've yeah. got Hunger Games. we got Hunger Games coming back. we got Twilight. Twilight coming back. Here's number three. Max announced they've got that Harry Potter TV series. They're going to do the full. Ooh. We're going... We're going to go full Harry Potter adaptation again as a streaming TV show. Three makes a trend. I'm calling it now. YA is coming back. The YA How? resurgence. We're going to see it. The late aughts, early teens YA mm-hmm. trend coming roaring back. Get your I, get your Maze Runners ready. Get your Divergence ready. It's yep. all coming back again. Nostalgia yep. for that wave of YA books is going to hit. Oh, yeah. Now, Lon, how much blowback do you think there's going to be in regards to that series uh, with the uh, anti-JK Rowling contingent because uh, there was a lot of that talk when the video game came out, the new hot... And I mean, with the video game we saw, it didn't it didn't make a huge difference. The game was still big and popular. There's still a very receptive audience for new Potter shit. I think that there was a while there where the Fantastic Beasts movies weren't working. Right. And I think everybody thought, is this... Is this J.K. Rowling sort of spoiling everybody's good time and ruining the reputation of the Potter franchise? And I think now we've seen, not really. People still love Harry Potter. I'm not defending J.K. Rowling. I think she's a piece of trash. But I'm just saying, it doesn't seem like she's driving the audience away from the franchise more generally. Having said that, uh, I feel like this is a, from what I've seen anecdotally, it seems like people who are hardcore Harry Potter fans are excited because it's like, oh, new adaptations of these books. They didn't do it right the first time or I wanted to see this character or that character. They changed this or I don't like that. So there's a lot of like, oh, this is a chance to do it over and do it right the way I wanted them to do it. Mm. But I think if you look beyond that group of like Harry Potter super fans among like the mainstream public, 
doesn't really seem to be a ton of excitement because I feel like we already got a very good film version of it pretty recently. And I think yeah. casual fans are good with the Daniel Radcliffe films and don't need to see it all again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the J.K. Rowling of it is going gonna, is gonna to be the determining factor, but I do feel like I don't know if there's a huge level of excitement to do the same story over again. But again, if there's a chance to wring e- even a single drop of blood from that stone one more time. Well, yeah, I mean, they need, they especially, I mean, if you're looking at WB, they really only, they have a handful of franchises that people really, really, really care about. And other than that, they need to, they need to really focus on what they've got, you know? I mean, like, Conjuring, they're going to do their best to make a TV show out of that. But, like, uh, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. It's so much is resting on, like, DC and Game yeah, of Thrones. DC. And, yep. you know, like, that. That I think they, they could use, they could really use to supplant that with more stuff. So Potter is a, a, a big jewel in the crown, and they really need it to pay off. For I saw a funny uh, tweet about Harry Potter that I liked where someone was uh, talking about how Harry, like, in the time frame of the books... Uh, it's seeming, it seems that like everything that happened in the books and the movies took place in the mid nineties, more or less like in real, in real muggle time. I think the timeline of the books is like 97 to 2005 or something. Oh, I, I heard it was like a little the earlier. Books, that's I heard in taking the, place. Oh, see, I heard in the books, it was more like 93 to like 90, like eight, I mean, I'm not, what, I, I made but it. whatever. But like they said, if it was in the mid nineties, how come there's not one reference to the world champion Chicago Bulls winning six championships? Because they're in England. Yeah, but they could even like it one would be like, like the world champion Manchester United. Well, yeah, but the like world. I don't know. You know, just one line, one throwaway line where like Hagrid is like, "Oh, those Bulls are having quite a run, aren't they?" Do you do you think people in England do that? I don't think people maybe in England or maybe do that. Snape is like. I bet there's like one guy. You know how like in America, there's like in any big group of friends, there'd be like one person who follows like lacrosse and sure, everybody else like has a niche sports. Right. I feel appetite. like that's if you're a basketball guy in England, that's you. They're like, uh, rolled in his NBA again. You yeah, know? I mean, like, I could see Snape one line, just one line from Snape where he's like, "They're all in that the, Michael Jordan. That Michael yeah. Jordan is like a wizard and on the basketball court. That Dennis Rodman is quite eccentric." <laughs> AMC Plus plans to introduce a new ad-supported lower-cost tier. The company not doing great. Uh, streaming revenue not making up for their losses in cable. AMC, their whole business was these cable networks. Everybody ditched cable. They're not making ad revenue on cable anymore. Their hope was they mm-hmm. all those people would move and subscribe to their you know niche streaming service lineup, but it's not really happening. So and now all their good shows are gone. I was saying this to you before. I think they are coming out with new shows. I really liked Pantheon last year on AMC. I don't even I really know what like, that is. What is it's Pantheon? An animated, it's an animated sci-fi series that they've already canceled because nobody watched it, but it was really good. And it was about a near future in which they can copy human minds into computers. And so they start oh. making all of these like computerized people, consciousness that lives in these hard drives. And then what are, you know, what are those, what what's life like if you're a conscious distorted a hard drive and those people start trying to reach out to their family whatever it, it was cool mm-hmm. nobody watched it because it's it's mm-hmm. on all of these niche streaming services that people don't have there's also the Anne Rice adaptations they did interview with the oh, vampire yeah. really well reviewed oh and they then there's a new one with Alexander Mayfair Riches with yeah. Alexander Daddario they also had Moonhaven a sci-fi drama that was pretty well reviewed they've got Lucky Hank on now with Bob Odenkirk his follow-up to Better Call Saul the problem is People can't get at these shows to try them out because they're on this new streaming service and, and but, people don't want to pay eight ninety nine a month to check them out. You know, everything you're listing, like, they, uh, you know, I, I do still want to check out the Odin Kirk show, but nothing you're listing is Breaking Bad, uh, Mad Men. But Breaking Bad wasn't Breaking Bad before you'd seen it. In fact... Breaking Bad had the same problem when it did. Yeah, it had a run AMC. up. It became popular in like the fourth season. People, well, people didn't watch Breaking Bad on yeah. the AMC cable network. They didn't even know about it. Breaking Bad became a hit after it moved on to Netflix. That's where Ooh. people saw Breaking Bad. Once Breaking Bad season one popped up on Netflix, Breaking Bad on AMC cable became a hit. 
because people had seen it on Netflix and now they got caught up and wanted to watch it new. This has always been AMC's problem, but now it's compounded by you have to pay $8.99 to check out any of their stuff. So right. their response is going to be, they're going to, we don't know exactly the new price point, but they're going to lower the price of an AMC Plus subscription and they'll just run ads and hope that that gets people to come check out Lucky Hank and Interview with the Vampire and all these other shows that they're producing but aren't finding an audience because they're on AMC. Yeah, don't hold your breath. Listen, I'm not paying for uh, a- a- AMC Plus in this economy. On top of that, I just got my ass handed to me when I bet on the Knicks. Especially not with that one bookie who's still going on the streets of New York. Ooh, that guy. Listen, I his like that. His margins he, are impossible. He's really. But he pays me in cash. Uh, AMC. I would. I would also add, if you get AMC Plus, they include content from Shutter, Sundance, Now, Acorn TV. They're really trying their best to make it a value. Acorn TV for sounds too much like Corn Cop TV. <laughs> the wonder. The wonderful. Call I think Spectrum, you should leave. Sketch. Call your friends at Spectrum. <laughs> no, Acorn TV is there. It's there like. It's their version of a Brit box. It's like here's a bunch of BBC and Oh, ITV my mother loves British, that. My mother British loves British shows. That. It's all it's all it's all like old lady detectives in small country towns. It's like Yo, all... at like half the time I call my mother, uh, I'm like, "What are you up to?" and she's like, "Oh, I'm just watching Midsummer Murders." Right. It's like a nun on a bicycle who solves mysteries. That's every single show. Yeah, watched. it's just a bunch of British Angela Lansbury's. <laughs> yeah. Uh or Next, is she British? Is that redundant? Angela Lansbury is not. She's American. Well, Jessica, I'm assuming you mean Jessica Fletcher. Jessica the Fletcher. The character from Murder, yeah. she wrote. Yes. Uh, but no, both Angela Lansbury and Jessica Fletcher, I believe, are American. Thank you, Lon. Well, Angela Lansbury might be British. Hang on. Now I'm looking it up. Okay. Very good. Lon is uh, Googling. Uh, yeah, she we... was born. She was born in London. So Angela ah. Lansbury, technically uh, British-American, hmm. but... I te- Jessica Fletcher, American, lived in gotcha. Maine. Uh, Cabot Cove. Uh, Cabot Cove. It's in. It's it's somewhere in New England. Uh, uh, yeah, New England. Maine. I was right. Cabot Cove is in Maine. So she very was good, a Mainer. Uh, she's from America in the show. Uh, very anyway, good. Very good. Paramount planning a new feature film spinoff of Star Trek Discovery titled Section Thirty One, which is going to go straight to Paramount Plus. Uh, hmm. The film follows Michelle, Michelle Yeoh's character from Star Trek Discovery season one. Uh, she's recruited to join Section Thirty One. How do you know what do you know what Section Thirty One is? Are you a big enough Star Trek fan? Oh yes, uh, Section Thirty One is uh, when you're declared mentally incompetent and you're taken off of the Starfleet bridge and you're thrown in the brig. That's wrong, folks. Uh, section oh, 31. Section Thirty One is when you get caught. Uh, um, Touching yourself on the holodeck. It's not. It's just, you're giving him a Section 31. That is incorrect, folks. Oh, it's, okay. It's uh, Starfleet Secret Intelligence Gathering Division. They're like the NSA oh, oh, of Starfleet. Gotcha. Uh, so there was a deleted scene that was going to go at the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Yes. In which Michelle Yeoh's character gets recruited into Section 31. They ended up pulling it, but ever since that scene was shot and fans heard about it, there have been rumors that maybe they're going to do a spinoff where Michelle Yeoh joins Section 31. We are The idea of Section 31 was introduced in Deep Space Nine. There's some stuff about it. They, uh, it's been touched on in other shows. I think Picard had a, a plot line about it. But this is going to be our first real chance to get really into it and see how it functions from the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fans are very excited about that. This is going to be the very first original Trek film produced for a streaming service. Uh, cool. I mean, uh, every, you know, how can you go wrong with Michelle Yeoh? She's great. There you go. Uh, lastly, last news item, also uh, coming soon to Paramount Plus, they're working on a TV adaptation of Galaxy Quest. Now, this is, they've been trying to reboot Galaxy Quest for a really long time now. Uh, In- Screen Junkies did a, a documentary about Galaxy Quest, right? Indeed, indeed we did. I mean, I'm saying we, I mean, Screen Junkies is a collective. I had nothing to do with it. But yes, uh, Screen Junkies, uh, Defy Media fandom collectively produced a documentary feature about uh, the me. It's it's, it's like a it's like what you'd see on like a DVD, like as a a, comp, a supplement to the movie, like a full documentary about the making of and the legacy of yeah of the Galaxy cult Quest. fandom of it. Uh, I, I thought it was well made, well it, done. It was, you know what? It was well made. Uh, it's called Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. That's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime right now. If you have Amazon you Prime, go. you can you can watch that. Uh, anyway, Paramount they they were in 2015 
Amazon was working on a Galaxy Quest sequel series. It was going to be some cast members from the movie, and it was basically going to be ongoing, like continuing the story from the film. Uh, right. Paul Shear. Paul Shear was like the creative lead on ah, that. Yeah. When Alan Rickman died, they canceled plans for that. It seemed weird to do a Galaxy Quest follow-up without one of the stars. Uh, so that went into turnaround. The new take, apparently not going to have anything to do with the original cast. It's going to be a totally fresh approach to Galaxy Quest in very early stages. Uh, Mark Johnson, who worked on Breaking Bad, also works on those AMC and Rice shows, coincidentally. He's okay. uh, banging out some scripts right now. Let me ask you a question. I guess there's no answer to this yet, but with a Galaxy Quest show, do you have that dual reality of the TV show and um, the and real life as in the movie? I mean, I'm assuming you would take I think the, you the, have core, to, the core right? premise. And yeah, it's like actors yeah. from a fake sci-fi show get blasted off into space by aliens who three amigos them, you know, like get, yeah. get, get mm -hmm. mixed up exactly. between. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that's the core premise and then you'll just go from there. Rather I like than, the way you use three amigos as a, as a yeah. verb there. I mean, that's, it's the same, <laughs> it is the same, I'm not saying Galaxy Quest ripped off three amigos, but it is the same, it's the same comic premise that, yeah, that that's, these actors uh, are mistaken for the real people who do the thing that they're pretending to do and then they get, drafted into action. What was the name of Martin Short's uh, little gunslinger? Ned Niederlander. Ned Niederlander. I grew it up watching Ned you, Ned Niederlander. Oh. You are my favorite star of the silver screen. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. In the 80s, you could just have this guy's whole bit is going to be a ludicrously cartoonish German accent. Like, that's yeah. it. That's the whole character. You know, it was a, it was a different time, Lon. <laughs> It's like they, they didn't have to come up with another bit. It's just he's got a silly German accent. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, that's the news, Hal. That's all. That's all I have. Oh, that more than enough, Lon. It is. It's ex exhaustive. Honestly. Our cup runneth over. Coming up, we are going to talk about ooh, a big Marvel blockbuster that just hit VOD. Lon. You and I both watch. I did not see this film in the theaters, so nor uh, nor I, my friend. I, I and, waited see it on my TV the way it was meant to be seen. Yes, uh, see it on the small, see it on the smallest screen possible. Says yeah. Peyton Reed of Honestly, yeah. of his uh, recent Marvel blockbuster. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is available VOD. Rent it now. I don't know when it's coming on Disney+. Plus. I thought maybe today, but no. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Don't don't watch it, though. If you take one thing away from this segment, <laughs> avoid this movie at all costs because it's terrible. Yeah, you. so you know, let me pull back the curtain for everybody. You and I were going to talk about, sorry if you hear the dogs barking in the background. Oh, my goodness. Uh. You and I were talking about what we were going to talk about on this episode, and we had a couple other things in mind. And then you texted me, and you're like, oh, my God, I hate Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yeah, Can we it, talk about that? It's a real disaster. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, we know on one level why it doesn't look good, because... They ran out of time and pulled a lot of the people who were working on the effects for this movie over to do Wakanda Forever. Yes. Uh, and so this movie kind of got the short shrift. So it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to just be blunt with you folks. It's it's not finished. The movie doesn't look done. You know how in Thor Love and Thunder there was that one scene where, like, the young Asgardian's face, like, shows up and Thor talks to him remotely like they... They use, like, magical Skype. Yeah, vaguely, yeah, yeah. And it looks real bad, and it just, like, doesn't kind of look done. This movie is full of scenes like that, where it's just, like, this kind of looks like an animatic. Like, like when you see the behind-the-scenes of the how the effects were done, and they do those, like, wipes where you see, here are, like, the four transitional versions, and then here's the finished one. It kind of looks like you just get to the third step, and then you don't get the finished one. Yeah, if I give you my two cents on the look of the film. Like, I never got that feeling that... It doesn't look done, but I did get overwhelmed by how drab and ugly the quantum verse looks. It's yes. just it's just very unappealing to the eye. Because right. I mean, that, that's the next thing. Is, yeah. It's just these nebulous vistas. And, you know, the thing that resonated in my head, Lon, is like, 
God damn, this is a lot of green screen bullshit. Like it's all them in a warehouse in Burbank. Yeah, and it and it only felt like that. Yeah. And it That's makes what I mean the by it not being done though. murky. There's a murkiness to the visuals. I mean, I think I think what you and I are saying, it goes hand in hand. Because yes, that, that, if they had time to finish, it would look more vibrant. The backgrounds would pop. It would look more seamless. Yeah, you can because- tell that they've been copied and pasted into these fake backgrounds because it's not done. Yeah, and that's and and that's a real shame because it when you like I didn't feel this way in Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and they no. were and they were like uh, gallivanting all over the place. A but, lot of Marvel movies have had a scene or two that looks like this, but not yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, and it's a shame because if you're going to have this kind of vista, uh, this kind of uh, other world, be your uh, core place where the action uh, is staged, d- delight us. Take us to, you know, you got to go James Cameron on our asses. Yeah, this looks like a, you're inside a toilet bowl. It's Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp inside a toilet bowl. Everything's orange and brown. It's it's gross. Everything's gloopy. That's the other thing is that yeah. aside from they didn't have time to finish the effects, for some reason, all of the designs in this movie are disgusting. Like everybody looks like mucus or feces. Everything's mm. orange and brown. Like, it's just gross and un- it's awful, really. Like, I hated spending time in this version of the quantum Yeah, realm. not appealing. I was desperate to get out of it. It's just ugly and awful. Did you get the vibe that they borrowed from the look of, uh, of the, a lot of the characters and the world that they borrowed from Star Wars a lot? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit like the Star Wars cantina scene. What if that was an entire movie where you just spent a whole movie? A like, little bit. Let's design some creepy, crazy looking aliens and have them walk in front of the camera to like, oh, what are those? What planet are those guys from? And you're like, and like you just kind of that wears out. It's welcome so quickly. So quickly. Yeah, it does. Oh, that's a battery guy. And he's talking to a broccoli guy and they're talking to a fish face guy like. I don't give a fuck. Oh, and there was one dude who was like a dead ringer for uh, whatever the race that Admiral Akbar is. Yeah, like, there's a squid guy. There's a monkey yeah. guy. It's just really fucking boring after a while and nobody and nothing looks good. And then on top of that, you know, you're listen, you're an idiot if you call like bullshit on the believability of a Marvel movie. But pardon me while I call bullshit on the fact that uh, Paul Rudd's daughter was able to create this device that communicates with the quantum realm. I mean, what? It's an example of how lazy everything is getting where, you know, like Cassie Lang, her dad is Scott Lang, not not a scientific genius. Her mom is Judy Greer. Not, not not interested in science, not a scientific genius. So the fact that she just randomly became a scientific genius and the MCU already has like 5,000, like we just had Wakanda Forever, which introduced Riri Williams, same age, yes. also a scientific genius. Like, oh, absolutely. Many, it, it undermines the scientific geniuses we've already met if everybody's a scientific genius. It's just boring at this point. Do something else. Not everybody has to be a Tony Stark. Not just a scientific genius who's going to be like, oh, after high school, maybe I'll get accepted into MIT or something. No, a scientific genius that creates an earth-shattering, game-changing, life-altering I mean, piece of tech. It's like somebody had to invent it, so why not cat? You know, it's just like throwing it at the wall. Every, every beat here is taken from another movie. Every idea here is taken from something else that they've done. A lot of the beats here are exactly Thor Ragnarok, which was also set on a trash planet that looks like a fucking dump. Like, this is the second Marvel movie that's set in a trash world that looks like a fucking dump. Why yeah. do you keep going back to the fucking dump? You know, Jonathan Major's uh, legal troubles aside, I still am trying to grasp what Kang's power is exactly. Yeah. Because, like... They keep telling us it's time. He he can right. he can travel throughout. He's seen the beginning and the end of time. He understand. He sees time differently. So you would think he would have time powers, like he could freeze you or send you back in time, or he knows what you're gonna do before you do it. But no, his powers are basically like like blast you with a with a laser out of his head. Yeah, he was a dude with a force field and some cool toys, and he needed his tech and everything. But like, you know. 
uh, I don't know. I, 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 and I liked his performance. I, and it's a, you know, who we'll see how they navigate it because Jonathan Majors is, you know, he's, he's going, uh, you know, through legal looks issues. Looks to be a terrible guy. Losing. Yeah, looks, looks to be a bad uh, guy. Seems yeah, to be a terrible some, guy. Did some bad stuff. And uh, he's being pulled from various like ad campaigns and starring. Well, his, uh, his management company, so. Management 360, dropped him. Yeah. Just today, there's a. By the time you you people listening to this are in the future, you probably know a lot more about it than we do, which is why I might not have gone down this road. But we're down it. Uh, <laughs> oh, anyway, Juan, sorry. No, I'm just saying we don't. They're going to know a lot more that they're in the future. So. Yeah. Uh, the news is breaking yeah, TV, constantly, but yeah, t- we TV, just TV. got the news that uh, there's a lot more stories about to come out. That's that's oh, today. Gotcha. Um, so so uh, anyway, I, I felt like the uh, the backstory on the on his character could have been filled in that much more if you're introducing him in that way, bigger than what we got in Loki. They they keep doing this thing. They're 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 trying to do Thanos. They're trying to like make him seem real scary by having everything kind of like ominously lead up. But we already met you. You kind of blew it. Like you already We've been down that road before. They already they, they went too far in Loki season one. Yes. And now and now we all kind of get his deal. And it's this movie. They spend an hour. Characters don't even want to say his name. They're like, oh, you're going to upset him. He's going to come looking for you. It's like, we, yeah, we giving already, him the Voldemort treatment. Yeah, it's like you already fucking, you blew your wad, guys. I'm sorry. You already showed him to us. You can't, you can't do this again. Like, yeah, kind of the, I mean, the way they rolled out Thanos, you know, they, 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 they nailed it with all that. It was very gradual before. They, they don't, they don't have that kind of patience anymore. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this movie sucks ass. Don't watch it. That's my review. Yeah, I, I, I found it to be a slog as well. I mean, you get there. Are, I, I will say there are moments of like, OK, that's some fun Marvel action. And it's uh, not really. It, it looks like grainy and blurry and it's tough to even see what's happening a lot because it's so I don't know. I yeah, really, I didn't find much to like about this one, folks. Not my fave. Not my fave. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, VOD. Next up, we watched Beef on Netflix. Speaking of people with serial allegations. Oh, yeah. Them, uh, um, one of the escape. co-stars, David Cho. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, just to dispense with that right away. So he, yeah. he made, he made, uh, he told a story about that sounded a lot like he raped someone on his podcast uh, about 10 years ago. He's since come out and said it was just, he, he was just making that story up. It didn't really happen. Nobody has ever come forward and said it's, he's talking about them. So maybe he did make it up. We don't know. Uh, but anyway, I feel like, and how, tell me if you disagree. Go I ahead. feel like if, if when that came back out, like David Cho, he he's an artist. He's not an actor, but he's in this show Beef. So right. those out that story came back out because he's in this popular Netflix show Beef. I feel like if they had come out right away and said, "Yes, this happened. David feels terribly. He apologizes. It, it, he told this story. It's not a true story. He feels really bad. Just just talk about what happened honestly. Get ahead of it been, before it, yeah, it um, just, leaks out. Well. Not even leaks out. I mean, if somebody tweeted that interview and everybody heard it and got upset anew, just mm-hmm. admit it. Come out and be like, yep, that was me. I told that story. What a bonehead move. What a stupid thing. I thought it would be funny. I can. I know now that that's not funny. I don't know why I said it. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I think you have to own it. You have to, like, if, you know, whatever it is. Because he, like, we literally have footage of him telling a horrific right. story. Just, if there's no point in denying, just be like, like, this is what happened. But instead, uh, they sent takedown notices to everybody who tweeted it out. Uh, David Cho is trying to block people from being able to watch that segment. And mm-hmm. then A24 and then the the stars and producers of Beef, Ali Wong, Stephen Yoon, they have not publicly commented at all. It looks like they're closing ranks. And I think that's what's made it such a big controversy. I think if, if they had just been honest about it and open about it, I don't think it would be that big of a deal because nobody at this point, nobody's really accusing him of doing anything. It's just he made a bad joke on a podcast. Yeah. And he and he tells a story that sounds um, shitty and uh, and like sexual misconduct. If the story was true, then he's guilty of something really terrible. But yeah. as far as anybody knows, the story is not true. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think their big mistake was that it's the Streisand effect. It's by trying to make it go away, they made it a hundred times worse. 
Oh, what's where does that come from? It's from Barbara Streisand. I'll, I'll look up the I'll look up the original situation. Oh, because Barbara Streisand murdered someone it, and then yes, tried to no. deny it. Here it is. In 2003, Barbara Streisand sued a photographer and Pictopia.com for $50 million for violation of privacy because they posted an aerial photo of her mansion. It had only ever been downloaded. This aerial photo of Barbara Streisand's mansion had only ever been accessed online like five times, six times, ever. Right. But after the lawsuit, when it became a huge news story, hundreds of thousands of people looked at the photo. So what they term that is the Streisand effect. If you try to ban or censor something from the internet, what you end up doing is making it much more interesting to people, which causes a lot more people to look it up than would have otherwise looked at it if you just didn't make a big deal. Yeah, sorry, Babs, that we were looking at your giant house. Why don't you go and clone your dog again? Hey, bringing it, bringing it to Barbara Streisand. Yup, sticking it to her. But all that awful shit aside. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to get that out of the way so we could talk no, about this. No, I, I, yeah, because uh, you, you know I was going to sneak in and bring it up. Later I, you, were, you were just waiting, waiting for your chance to virtue signal. Always. Uh, but that that being said, uh, I, I'm enjoying the hell out of this show. I haven't finished it yet, but it's dark. It's acerbic. It's Steven Yun playing a character that I feel is uh, atypical for him. I haven't seen him play this type of like blue collar kind of dude before. Ali Wong is great. There's a lot of satire about class and uh, the discrepancy between haves and have nots. Uh, And it's just a dark rivalry that takes some fun twists and turns. I'm really pleasantly surprised by this show. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it too. I, I think it I think it taps into something, you know, smart, which is the idea that uh, we don't we don't care about one another unless we're angry. Like the the idea that the we don't feel connected. In so much of modern life you feel disconnected from everyone else around you. You feel isolated, you're alone, we're all working from home, everybody's got their head down on their devices, and one of the very few emotions or things that can bring us together is rage. It's like yeah, outrage rage, culture. Outrage road culture. rage or outrage culture, all these different kinds of things, or, or you know, jealousy or, or rivalry or whatever. And and I think that it's looking at, at, at that sort of phenomenon and like, what if we allowed our made ourselves more open to other ways of connecting with people that aren't just purely driven by rage paranoia and hostility and i think that uh it's an interesting sort of take on that i agree uh both ali wong and steven yoon are playing like interesting characters that are a little bit outside their usual wheelhouse the one other thing i would say about it i feel like it's got a very smart uh take on like people who grew up in like the early aughts. Like I feel like we're we're now seeing shows about adults who grew up in a in a different we're used to seeing shows about adults who grew up in the eighties or the nineties. Yes. And now we're just starting to get shows about adults who grew up in like the aughts. And their their points of reference and their cultural references are so spot on, so specific and exacting. There's a scene where uh Steven Yoon is at a church. He's get he's he's started going to uh to a youth oriented yes. church in Orange County after the sort of the sermon or whatever the, the, after the uh, I don't know after the prayers are done he yeah. kind of sits he's sitting on stage and sort of jamming on guitar with a few other people and they give him Incubus's Drive is the song he picks to play and it's so it, what a perfect choice like just it's exactly the song that guy would play on guitar for people that he would have learned when he was in high school or college uh, it's just it's it's stuff like that that makes it feel so lived in and so specific. That I think yeah, there's a truthfulness to it, absolutely. And I've seen articles uh, that have come out that have really praised specifically that aspect of the show, uh, Korean Christian culture uh, in that way. But yeah, it's uh, it, it really is like there's a there's a darkness to the show. Like as you're watching the. Uh, initial inciting incidents unfold it's it's arresting like the show really grabs you and it doesn't let go it's it's well paced it's and like uh we've said a couple times now uh, it's a breath of fresh air seeing these two actors having fun and chewing the scenery in this way in this dark bitter rivalry that takes place in beef absolutely worth checking out 
on Netflix. Finally, Lon and I, we've played the game. Now we watch the movie, uh, Tetris on Apple. Uh, I... It makes me feel bad to come down on this movie because it's fine. It doesn't do anything wrong. I don't have yes. any problems with it. I just it's it's just not that interesting to me. Like I don't. Yeah. They don't. They don't do the thing which you fundamentally have to do early on in your movie, which is get me emotionally hooked. Like make me care about this scenario. And I, I'm not saying it has to be something I care about in advance. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have to care about video game rights deals going in, but yeah. you got to sell me on it in the context of the movie. And I, I just didn't. It, it, Taron Egerton's doing a good job. Everybody's fine. Yeah. It's just it feels very like very specific and very like exacting about this this business deal in the eighties. I'm just not that invested in. Yeah, Lon, it, it really gets in the weeds with gaming rights. And I feel like that hurts the movie. I, At the end of the day, I warmed to the movie at by the end because I'm like, okay, this is what it's going to be. All right. And I felt like everything sort of gained clarity and became a little bit more compelling. But for the first like 45 minutes, I'm like, Oh my God! It's like it's it's like you're watching the prequels, uh, Star Wars, and like all these Senate scenes. Like, who needs to uh, to learn about all these trade routes in the galaxy? Same thing with this. It was like they really got into it. Was it was a little bit confusing about like the specificity of the gaming rights, um, and but it gained clarity as it went along. But I, I disliked the first like 45 minutes so much. It felt you're right. It doesn't get you hooked. And it felt like we were watching recreations uh, from a documentary. It reminded me a lot, actually, of the Pez Outlaw. Right, yeah. And there was like a similarity in like he had to go to clandestine Eastern European locations right, to get yeah. what he wanted. And, and, in, and, and in the documentary, like you have the talking heads to give you the emotional heft. And then the recreations are kind of just like stark. And there wasn't, a, the, it lacked a certain human element in, in the storytelling that made it a slow burn to get into. Yeah, I, 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 specifics can be good because they can like suck you into the world. And, and yeah. like, I like that feeling of, oh, I'm learning the real story behind what happened. But sure, it's 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 a balance. There there does also have to be a big picture. Like I I'm invested in this outcome, and the I think a, I think a problem is they keep they want this to be the story of the the brave man who brought Tetris to American consumers, but that's not true. It's it would have gotten to America no matter what. Yeah. It's about which guy wins the bidding war and gets to. So you you got to be invested in Taron Egerton because you care about him as a character. Because otherwise, it's not really about whether Tetris is going to get to America. Any of those guys would have been happy to bring Tetris to America. Yeah. Because it was a popular, well liked game. It's really just about who gets to who wins this one business deal. And I think that they're approaching it way too much from a tactical lay out the whole case file of everything that happened and not enough from an emotional personal like I want Taron Egerton to win. I want him to beat these other guys. And the real Roger Mitchell is a is a bastard. Like you could have made that guy <laughs> way way worse. Or is it Roger Mitchell, Roger Mark? Oh, what, what's H that guy? Hank Rogers? No, Hank Rogers is the he's the good guy. I mean the who's oh. the it's Robert Maxwell, the real Robert oh, yes, Maxwell. Robert. Oh, that's Ghislaine Maxwell's father. That's It's Ghislaine Maxwell's father. He was a fraud. Like, he dies a yeah. few years after the events of this movie, and they found out that he didn't have the money to give to his kid for Tetris rights because he was a scam artist, and it was all a Ponzi scheme, and his businesses mm -hmm. fell apart as soon as he died. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't make that guy more of a villain character. Yeah. Make us care, you know, make us want to see him. They did to a degree, but man, Not let's have really. a Ghislaine appearance in there. Uh, well, she was very young, but. <laughs> true. But, but uh, also they tried to give it a little bit more em emotional heft, like bringing in Taron Edgerton's family. and But it's, it's it felt kind of tacked on. Yeah, and totally then does. you totally had does. like these cartoonish KGB villains and it's like, 
you know, I'm not going to give away the ending completely, but it's just like, you know, they're ch it's a chase to the airport and it's just like, you know, Argo. Yeah, they try a few different things to try to hook you, but I think that when it comes right down to it is the idea of a movie about bringing Tetris to America sounds great. And then you dig into the story and you're like, oh, I really wasn't that interesting. And I think there you could feel them trying very hard to make it more interesting than it was. And it's just like, I don't, at a certain point, it's just like not that interesting. I'm sorry. When I first started watching it, I was like, you know, my, you know, I'm a big wife guy. Started watching it with my wife. Huge, she stopped. Huge wife guy. She she stopped watching it. It's boring. Yeah, it's boring. After a while, you're like, all right, yeah, a bunch of different companies wanted Tetris rights. You, I stuck no it through. There. I, I, you know, I feel like I had a tiny victory myself. Like I cleared the whole board uh, because I stuck it through, and the film got moderately better. And um, by the end, yeah. but still, it's a, it is kind of meh. It is kind of meh. And Taron Edgerton, like you said, he gave it the college try. He's got a long career of being, he's good in not great movies. Like, I feel like he's always, like Rocket Man. I felt like, well, that wasn't great, but he was really good. Kingsman, I'm like, I don't really like those movies, but that guy's really good. Like, yeah, yeah. Put, somebody put Taron Edgerton in a good movie. He's earned it. Yeah, well, um, you know, Apple has given him a bunch of paychecks, that, and then the uh, Blackbird, is that the uh, one with yeah, uh, that went, right. Paul the, Walter the, Hauser? The, the, yeah, the TV show, yeah. Yeah, uh, there you go, Tetris. If you want to know the story of uh, all of the international intrigue that went into uh, Nintendo, Game Boy, Tetris, all that stuff, check it out. Moderate intrigue, moderate, some intrigue. Moderate intrigue. Lon... Those are the programs and things that we watched. Hoot hoot, Owl Nation. Thank you. Out there. To, Don't say it. Thank you to Travis Reeves, our producer. There, you could say that. Thank you, Jason Kay, for our opening theme music. By the way, if anyone is part of a big podcast uh, conglomerate and they're looking for just a, a slick, well-done, streaming-themed podcast, with two likable Jewish guys, <laughs> we're available. If you are Taryn Egerton and you want to uh, pick up a podcast. If you are Taryn Egerton and you want to tell the story of Binge Boys and Starburns Audio, hit us up. Thank you, Starburns, for letting us use your name. <laughs> Lon, anything else to say to the folks? Enjoy. Have a great week, folks. We'll be back soon with more Binge Boys. Yeah, you can find me at Hal Rudnick and uh, check out my Twitch channel at Hal Rudnick on the socials and twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick, where I do movie watch alongs and a bunch of fun nonsense. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye now. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge Boys, Binge Boys.